Hello, nerdettes. Hello, junior ambassadors. Welcome to the Nerd United Nations podcast. I'm your co-ambassador from the Midwest United States, Jared Boots, and today we're coming to you live from Adams College, where we are celebrating the 35th anniversary of the seminal classic, Revenge of the Nerds. Of course, I cannot do this alone. I have my co-ambassador with me. We make a great team. She's the Omega Moo to my Lambda, 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 and that is my co-ambassador from the Great White North Canada, Miss Melissa Nicholson. Melissa, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Finally got a break from the heat, even though we're down here at Adams College down in Arizona. <laughs> but they say they say it's a dry heat down here. But yeah. how's it up there? Eh, it's it's all right. Got a break from the. From the heat, too, so it was pretty chilly, actually. It was nice. It was like a hint of fall, which I'm really counting down the days until. So well, I forget. We're creating the illusion that we're at Adams College, so oh. it's sure damn hot out here in this, uh, in this college. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. <laughs> well, sorry, you ready? It's going to be a great year. Yes, definitely a great year. So, if you're listening to this on the correct day, uh, we intended to, August 10th, 2019, it'll be the 35th anniversary of Revenge of the Nerds. It came out in 1984, exactly four months before my birthday. So, this movie is exactly four months older than me. So, I hope you enjoy it, because right now... As we speak, I'll be laying on or pulling a, a rope across the Mississippi River at the, as of, at the time of this episode playing. So we wanted to get this episode ready for you of the day of the anniversary so you can enjoy it just like us. So, Melissa, what was your first introduction to Revenge of the Nerds? My first introduction um, <coughs> was I, like, cough up a hairball. <laughs> is there a you in there uh, hairball <laughs> we don't add the letter u in every word just a fun science fact everybody <laughs> i know in canada we add lots of u's to things but we you know it's not every word <laughs> but you're at, Adam, you're at adams college right now yeah well, same thing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. If, like, I wasn't really... It was just a movie that I was told I had to see. Like, it was just, oh, you should see this. It's like, you know, you're... You know, you have your your list of movies that you just have to watch in life, like at least once or a bunch of times if you really like it. And this was one of those movies. I think it was just after, like, I don't know if it was after I got it, like it was introduced to Star Wars, and then I just got into a whole bunch of other ones, and I was introduced to this one. And um, 
it was at the time it didn't really like it, it wasn't I don't know what's the word sort of influential or like inspiring at all um but when I saw it again like probably in high school it was definitely because I enjoyed the movie the first time and then saw it again and I loved it and I just loved that it was this sort of group of completely different people coming together and forming this really awesome community and it didn't matter who you were you could be you know you're white you're black you're nerdy you're awkward you're gay you're whatever it didn't matter that they were just this group and they you know they they all got along very well and you know sought their you know revenge against the the jocks who were giving them a hard time as you know as they do but um (laughs) but it was it, it was definitely more meaningful that second time because you know, the, especially the, you know, the infamous speech at the end and, you know, and the saying, you know, I'm a nerd and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I'm so that's, a good, that's a good line. We should use that. Yeah, we should. I, I think I know of a podcast that uses it. I'm not sure which one. Hmm. It's nerd, nerd. Something hmm. <laughs> it'll come to oh, me. We, we don't we don't get it here at Adams College. <laughs> no, no, we're we're uh, we can't home of the Adams <laughs> with a U at Tombs. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was definitely uh, definitely one of those movies that was yeah more meaningful later on as I like you know, definitely developed into the nerd that I am today. So it was, yeah, it was good. That's a great movie. It is. It's it's well done and it's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I said, in episode two, we talk about our favorite movies. I've, I've seen this movie a few more times than you have. I also joke that I have seen, I have seen Revenge of the Nerds more times than Beetlejuice has seen The Exorcist. And like that, it still gets funnier every time I see it. <laughs> not, the fact, not to mention the fact you're talking to a nerd. So what do you think? Am I qualified to love this movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but as, as, I have, as, as I have mentioned, uh, I've uh, been watching this movie since I was about four or five years old, which explains a lot about me. <laughs> Raised on a steady diet of Ringe of the Nerds and Porkies and Caddyshack. All good rated R comedies for a, a kid to be watching. But um, it's one of those movies where, when I was that age, a lot of the jokes and references in that movie went way over my head. Like half of Booger's dialogue just goes over my head. Like, what's what's Bush mean? What's douchebag mean? <laughs> and so all that stuff just goes over your head to get about to about a certain age. But... Um, I sense a very close relation to Lewis in this movie for the sole reason how I'm, I was sort of in a nerd denial until I was about in my mid-twenties like Lewis is through most of this movie. He doesn't see himself as a nerd. He doesn't come to accept it until the end when Gilbert's given his famous speech. 35 years later, how do you think this movie stands up now? I think it still stands up. Like, you definitely know... 
<coughs> know that it was like it's definitely an 80s movie definitely but based on the technology like the computers and stuff like that but overall i think it still stands up with the messages with um you know just the, the story the characters themselves i think it it's still um you know a lot of the I don't know, like little issues and things are still relevant today. And um, I think it, it definitely holds up. We had, we had to at least admit, though, I think 35 years in the process that the nerd culture has been embraced more than it has been. Yeah. So it's, it's not, not quite not quite the oppression that these guys are seeing in the movies. But then again, these guys aren't, the Tri-Lambs aren't, as much pop culture nerds in these movies as they are as more like the nerd cultures accepted now. Mm-hmm. So it, a lot of the computer smart guys, uh, tech savvy people are more uh, welcome now or more intermingled, but yeah. not the society's uh, embrace the nerd culture more in the, over the last 35 years. But sometimes when you look back to this movie though, it seems like, you can look at it and see, oh, the plot of this is kind of corny. Like, oh, really? The, we're prejudiced against nerdy people. Yeah. But it's it, just a little. Like, you can you can poke the holes in it and say, oh, really? This is what these guys are being oppressed over. But yeah. But at the yeah. same time. But but like nerds were looked at differently then than now. Like you said, like it's just more. It's more widely accepted. Like you can say you're a nerd and it's pretty well okay you're not gonna like get beat up over it or you might depending on you know different situations but the point being is like you can you know yeah you can say you're a nerd and you're fine you're not you know there's you know there's like nerdist and all these things these geek and sundry and all these different things and they're out there and like your comic con and and it's just i feel like it's completely like blown up for nerd like culture and just pop culture in general and you know the nerd is the one who's going to fix your technology like your your laptop your phone your whatever so you can't really be mean to a nerd especially one that knows their way around a piece of technology so i think it's and obviously we have you know we have all the technology so you know we kind of need nerds but you're not going to be you know, shunned for for being a nerd like you might have, you know, years before. Now, has this uh, has Revenge of the Nerds uh, introduced you or opened your eyes to anything before? Like, for example, for me, this is probably the first time I was introduced to the song Thriller. Actually, probably the first time I heard Thriller was in this movie. Um, there's been a few other instances where this is my first. So I remember watching this movie during the party scene and watching them dance a thriller. Like, hey, this is... Then I hear a thriller outside. Like, hey, this is a movie from Revenge of the Nerds. song from Revenge of the Nerds. I know this song. And I always wanted to... I always try to do the Point Dexter dance on how he dances during that movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, now I try to do the actual thriller dance like everybody else does. But I think I'm going to go back to trying to do the Point Dexter dance instead of, <laughs> instead of thriller. <laughs> Dude. Oh, that's a great dance, man. <laughs> and I, I heard, I found out in the behind the scenes last night that that was Timothy Busfield's audition. Was that dance? 
That's awesome. I'm trying to think. I, there was other things that Revenge of the Nerds was my first introduction to these things. And I really can't remember anything else. Yeah, I, do, I do remember like looking up to these guys when they did when they performed at the carnival, their their musical sketch in the carnival and all that stuff, looking up to that kind of stuff. Or when Gilbert is on the computer when he meets Judy for the first time when he's putting the little animation on his computer or on her computer with her and like, oh, that'd be cool. I want to do that sometime. That'd be awesome to do. Mm-hmm. I think... I think the same, yeah, for me it was, yeah, Thriller. That was the first, I think the first time I'd heard that because I hadn't heard, I wasn't really, um, hadn't fully been introduced to a lot of music just yet. So, yeah, Thriller was was one, and I think I got into that song and a little like Michael Jackson stuff after that. Um, that that song was only about what a little over a year old when this movie came out too. So yeah. that's that was a huge get for them to get one of the biggest album, get one of the a song off one of the biggest albums of the eighties. Well, no kidding, that that would have been awesome. Like just yeah, yeah. I, I I wonder how surprised they were to get that. Like you know, we want to use this song. Can we get it? Yep. Here you go. What? <laughs> <laughs> A new song? What? <laughs> oh, like another example too is I, I threw uh, I threw javelin in college, so watching this movie is my first introduction to, to javelin throwing and and no, I could probably embarrassing to say it, admit a little bit, but I actually Lamar's javelin. I actually thought that's what javelins looked like because I didn't touch a javelin until I was eighteen, nineteen years old. So watching that movie for. How long at that point? It was 20 years at that point. I think that's what javelins look like. Never seen one before in person. Oh, that's what javelins look like. Huh. So when I drew a shirt design for my throwing team, I'm like, oh, that's what, uh, that's how I drew the javelin was with little fins on it. <laughs> yeah. Embarrassing to admit now, but that's what I knew. Well, exactly. It's like you, if you hadn't seen something like that before and then, you know, okay, that's what it looks like. Okay, and then see it in real life. It's like, oh, it's not actually. It's not actually look like that, but you didn't know, right? So, but yeah, I can't think of anything else that I was first introduced to from that movie, except for like, except for Thriller. I think Thriller would be a big one. Just yeah. how big of a song it was at the time. Hmm. And, I, and I, I'm a child of the mid mid '80s too, so Jackson was big. That that whole album in general was huge at that time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I used to. I was very into like when I got when I expanded my repertoire of of music from like your boy bands and stuff because I had to go through that phase. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh jeez. Um, Awful phase. Oh god, I got out of except that. For, like, except for except for Joey Fatone, let's skip over all that. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, um, <laughs> I know I know a modern thing I can take away from the movie now is I was well, I was it probably had to be the first time in at least a year, maybe two, that I've seen Revenge of the Nerds. I've been in a, a member of a tug of war club for about the last three and a half years, and. 
last night watching the movie, watching the tug of war scene. I'm sitting there watching this, and this is actually something I have brought up quite a bit at practice. Is when the triumphs let go of the rope when they're tugging the alpha betas, and the alpha betas all fall down. Yeah. In my three years, I have brought that up numerous times of just letting go of the rope and letting people drop. But <laughs> after watching the movie last night and all the time I've been spending with my tug family, Muddy River guys, if you are listening, I am convinced by watching their technique, we could beat the alpha betas. No problem. Just by watching how they're lined up on the rope. I have no doubt in my mind that Muddy River could beat the alpha betas. <laughs> <laughs> So we need I need to round up my team. We need to go back to 1984, find Ted McGinley and uh, I can't remember who plays Ogre, uh, Donald Gibb who plays Ogre and the guy who plays Burke who went on to play Captain America after this movie. Uh, we need to go back and find them and challenge them in a tug of war. <laughs> as long as they don't wear the short shorts this time around because uh, 80s has its drawbacks and fashion was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything but the short shorts. Those can go. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Who would who would you say is your favorite nerd of all the trilams? Oh boy. Um, hmm. That's a. I don't know. Um, <laughs> cue Jeopardy music as I think about this. Um, oh, this, this is all getting cut out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, it seems like an, an obvious choice, but like, um, like Lewis is my, is my kind of my favorite because like he, he's just this sort of awkward guy at first, but he's also optimistic because he's like, you know, it's going to be a good year. We're going to, like, when they're initially, you know, getting themselves kind of settled and whatever. And they're like, you know, it's going to be a good year. We're going to, you know, meet girls. And we're going to just, you know, have a great time. And you got you to gotta, gotta applaud the fact that he walks right up to the head of the cheerleaders and asks her out on a date. Right? It's like, wow, that's just, that's brave, man. <laughs> so... I can, yeah, I can definitely, you know, he's, he's, it's funny because he's, he's like, he's awkward, but then he can be so confident. Like, yeah, walking up to the cheerleading squad and be like, you want to go out with me? And I'm like, you know. Maybe we can grab a cup of coffee or something. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you asked her out. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, he's, it's kind of sweet. Like, he's just. Oh, let's you know go for coffee, whatever, and you know. So I kind of I admire that, and and um, uh, who's the other one? Um, I think Booger, he's hilarious. 
I like him as well. Those two, those two guys are are my are my favorites, definitely. And I think for me, like I relate most to to Lewis because like I can be, you know, awkward, but then I can also be like a bit confident, but then I can also be optimistic. So, yeah. So like I, I relate to him. So yeah. Who are your favorites? Well, like I said, even though I said I kind of related to Lewis for most of my most of my life being that nerd denial. But I don't really relate to my favorite nerd. But my favorite is Point Dexter. Just because some of the th- some of the things Timothy Busfield does in this movie are so hilarious. Like I said, I love the dance that he does when he's dancing the thriller. <laughs> and and watching behind the scenes, you hear all this like all this random stuff that he does in the movie, like all the random noises he he doesn't talk much in this movie. But when he's walking around those glasses, he said he found those glasses at a Goodwill or a thrift store. And so when he's, he actually had to be led around in the scenes of the movie. So when they're doing the panty raid, he runs into the wall. He runs into the wall. <laughs> just hearing all these random noises he makes when he's, when they first go into the house before they fix it up, they have the cobwebs. You hear him go, bleh, bleh. <laughs> or when he's on the Trojan horse and they're kind of, bleh, bleh. <laughs> yes. Just watching them bump into <laughs> the post in the house. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> and my love for him, he gets a little bit. I wish he had gotten a little bit more due in the first one, mm. but his role's a lot more expanded in the second one. I think Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise, uh, his expanded role, I think that's what grew my affection for Point Dexter. But that was also what. Um, Growing up, I was also a huge fan of Gilbert, too. And Booger was funny, too. Mm-hmm. I just found them all funny, even Takashi and Lamar. Yeah. They're they're all funny in their own way. Yeah. Like, see, like, yeah, that's why it's so hard to choose, because I really, I, I love that whole group. And it's like, I would totally hang out with them. They would be, so honestly, the fun people to hang out with. Honestly, it's just... And that's why, like, yeah, it's really hard to pick who my favorites are because just they're all really good people. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. awesome. I wish I, I wish I could go back to college now because now Lambda 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 is an actual fraternity now. Oh, for yeah. long, for the longest time, it was just fictional, but it is. I don't remember the year it became official, but. Within the last 10 years, I believe, 10, 15 years, Lambda, Lambda, Lambda is an official fraternity now. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Oh. I really wish I could go back to college now. I want to go back to college now. Jeez. <laughs> I do. I do. As I was a kid, I, even as a 34-year-old man, I still want the sweaters they wear with the Triland logo on it. You can get the, t- you can get the T-shirts with the, the logo on it and... But two things I've always wanted from this movie is I always, well, besides the dress like Poindexter does during the, the musical competition, is Poindexter rocks a mohawk for being a guy with the, the fluffy hair and the thick glasses and the suits. He rocks the hell out of a mohawk <laughs> and, and, and a leopard print suit. But, uh, <laughs> but two things I've always wanted from this movie are the sweaters they wear with the Lambda logo on it mm-hmm. and a Skolnick Electronics pocket protector. Nice. Those are two things I've always wanted to add to my wardrobe, and I may have to someday. Yes, that needs to happen. So now, I, I would love to, a sweater. That'd be awesome. I'll have to do some digging online. 
<laughs> See if I can find them. I know uh, my my brother had a Lambda 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 T-shirt, but I, I might have to look into the, finding one. But um, now this movie has spawned three sequels, a television show, and a game show. How do you think the legacy of this movie itself has a, has an effect on you, or has an effect on pop culture in general? I think it's um, well, it's affected me in the sense of like, yeah, like I, I've you know I said kind of earlier was you know becoming who I am and really being solid and firm in that, and not you know being afraid to. Being like, hey, I'm a nerd and I like, you know, my comics and stuff. And, you know, I'll talk about it even if, you know, you don't like it. It's like, I'll just mention it or something or make a reference or whatever. But I'll be myself. I'm not afraid to be that. And, but I think within, within pop culture itself, I think it's helped it grow. Definitely. And it's, it's guided it, not, you know, been maybe as big a part of it but it's it's helped guide it along and become you know what this culture is now you know the we're more accepting of of you know nerds and and people who are into you know your cosplaying or your you know even like the you know people they do live streams on youtube people follow that you know whether they're playing games or talking about different things and I think it's helped grow that because people that have watched it have been influenced by it in some way, I'm sure, and have taken that and gone their own path on whatever path they've gone and, you know, and changed that. And I think, yeah, it's it's guided it along a little bit. Maybe not made the biggest impact, but it's certainly made nerdum more mainstream i guess instead of just this like little group of people who are into whatever they're into yeah. uh, well i think about the legacy of this franchise though it, the legacy impacts me in a personal way is a lot of these actors i see in this movie that's who these actors are to me so for example anthony edwards who plays gilbert People might know him as Goose from Top Gun or his doctor character from ER. But to me, no matter what he does, he will always be Gilbert to me. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, Robert Carradine. He might be known to Lizzie, as Lizzie McGuire's dad to some people, but to me, he's always going to be Lewis. Uh, Curtis Armstrong. That's the Curtis Armstrong probably had one of the bigger careers of the main cast, even though it's been bit pieces here and there. He Curtis Armstrong might be known for being in risky business before this came out or being in being in moonlighting after this or being in uh lately Ezekiel the cockroach in doom patrol or being that guy random guy that appeared in dodgeball the movie but to me he will always be booger mm-hmm. or same with uh i brought this up a while back uh back in june i went to the on my way home from a tournament i stopped by the field of dreams and um I just so happened to get there on the day they're celebrating the 30th anniversary of that movie unknowingly. And the only member of the cast that was there besides the ghost baseball players were, was the guy who played Kevin Conner's father. And I was chatting up with a, a random guy at the souvenir stand. I'm like, well, no, I go, no Ray Liotta, no Kevin Costner. 
No Timothy Busfeld. I'd rather sit and I'll talk to him about Revenge of the Nerds all day. And the guy just started cracking up laughing. He goes, oh, that's right. He was in that movie. <laughs> so Timothy Busfeld, he might go down as being known for being in uh, Field of Dreams or being in 30-something or maybe some diehard sports kids about my age who know him from uh, Little Big League. But to me, he will always be Point Dexter. Um, like Larry B. Scott, who played Lamar, he was in Cobra Kai and all these other macho movies. Or no, Karate Kid. He was a member of the Cobra Kai and Karate Kid. But to me, he's always going to be Lamar. Yeah. And even Jamie Cromwell, who's gone on to have like a big career outside of this, he will always be Lewis's dad to me. Um, yeah, I did say like uh, Curtis Armstrong had a bigger career, but. Easily the star star that shined the brightest out of this movie has to be John Goodman, who from the the director of the movie says that he doesn't even talk. John Goodman doesn't talk about this movie at all. I would say, even though I love John Goodman in this role, I still know him as I still look at him and see Dan Connor from Roseanne. I still see him as these other characters, but it's not, it's not throwing shade at his coach Harris. It's just, I don't know why it doesn't have the impact on me, but, yeah. but like Donald Gibb will always be ogre to me. Uh, Ted McGinley, instead of being Jefferson from Married with Children or being his character from Happy Days or voicing Aquaman on Batman Brave and the Bold, he's always going to be Stan Gable in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's, it's funny how that, yeah, it's, no, they're always this character. It's, it's, you know, it's but it's because like they they impacted you in that in you know some kind some way shape or form, and you know you're a huge fan of the movie, so of course you're gonna be like yeah that's you know you're always gonna be that character to me. You're not gonna yeah you do other roles and that's okay, but no you're you know whoever you are, and um, you know so. Yeah, it's funny that way. <laughs> yeah, every all my, I'm not a huge Top Gun fan. I'll come out and say it. But every time I see him, like I just think of Gilbert every time I see him on screen. <sighs> oh well, there's worse tragedies in the world. <laughs> you just don't have the need the need for speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but every, every time I've I've seen Top Gun maybe a handful of times, and it, I I I'm not throwing shade. At people that love the movie. It's just I'm not a huge Top Gun guy. But I, every time I see it, I don't see Goose. I see Gilbert. Yeah, he'll always be Gilbert. Even when I watched ER as a kid, I don't get into those types of shows. When I was a young kid watching it, when Anthony Edwards was on there, like it's Gilbert. Yeah. And there always will be Gilbert whenever I see him. Yeah, I think it was just thinking, yeah, I think it was James Cromwell. I had seen him before. Well, he was. He was in. He's in American Horror Story, one of the seasons of that. He's in. Uh, he was in the movie Babe, which is a random pull. He was the farmer in Babe. Okay. See, I saw him um, in MASH. He was a friend of B.J. Hanukkah. And he was this, like, prank. He he played jokes on people. He had, like, did the hand buzzer and all these things. And he was sort of, his character was sort of known for 
for these jokes and stuff. And that's where I first saw him. So then it was like, see him in this and, and or was it, I don't know if it was before or after, however the order goes, but I had seen him in that and then, oh, that's, you know, BJ's friend. And <laughs> so it was like, I remember him from that, but now it's, no, he's, you know. I didn't. I didn't make the connection of him and anything else until I saw him in Adam Sandler's remake of The Longest Yard. Like I had seen Babe when I was a kid, but I just didn't make the connection back then. Oh, that's Lewis's dad from Revenge of the Nerds. But yeah. when I saw him in Longest Yard, I started. I got to that point in my life, probably my late teens, early twenties, where I go, oh, "This is this guy from this movie. This is good. This guy from this movie." But the only one I could really point out was Anthony Edwards and uh, Timothy Busfeld. Because when I saw a little big league for the first, I'm like, hey, is that Point Dexter? <laughs> <laughs> or whenever I saw Field of Dreams for the first time, is that Point Dexter? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like Jamie Cromwell didn't link up with me again until I saw Longest Yard remake when it came out in the mid to early 2000s. Like, hey, that's Lewis's dad from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. And, and when I used to watch Lizzie McGuire and that around that time frame too, it, like, hey, it's Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think one of Robert Carradine's first movies was a John Wayne movie called The Cowboys. Okay. He was young in that movie. My, I think my my dad that pointed that out to me, like, "Hey, that's Lewis from Revenge of the Nerds." <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> I don't think I've seen I've seen a couple John Wayne movies, but I don't think I've seen that one. I want to say it's probably in the latter of John Wayne's career. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Shout out to fellow Iowan, John Wayne. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's funny how, yeah, the, like an actor will always be, you know, whoever, whatever character they may have played, they're always going to be that. If they've done, you know, an especially, you know, good portrayal of the character, definitely. And it's just like... You know, I keep talking about, I can't go a day without doc- talking about Doctor Who. It's the same thing. Like, an actor plays the Doctor, and they're always going to be that. No matter what. It's just, like, there was something with Matt Smith, I can't remember what it was called. And it was really weird to see him in, the, like, the different role, because it's like, he's always going to be the Doctor to me. So, it's the same thing here, where it's like, yeah, they're always going to be... You know that character. No, you can't be anybody else. You have to. You always. You have to be this forever and ever, whether you like it or not. So imagine somebody with that mind of thinking like you. If Matt Smith is always the Doctor, how do they think when they went and saw him in the musical adaptation of American Psycho? Mm. <laughs> Goes from playing the Doctor with his bow tie and his fez to playing Patrick Bateman killing somebody in a in a fancy thousand dollar suit with a raincoat over top of it. Listen to Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> quite the cult, quite the culture shock there. Yeah, I'm like, what the hell is this? No, you're supposed to be going on silly adventures in a police box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So have you have you seen any of the sequels or any of the show or or the 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 game show they did, uh, King of the Nerds. No, I haven't. I've only just seen the like the the first movie. I haven't seen the other the other stuff. I know of them, um, but it's you know on my list of things to watch. 
Revenge, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise is a pretty solid sequel. I don't know what it is about 80s sequels. 80s sequels just seem so much better. Like, if you take a lot of sequels from mid-late 80s and the early 90s, sequels just did it better. I think it was because they weren't trying to recapture a lot of the first one. Like you get with a lot of sequels, where you just try to jam pack. Well, you like this in the first movie. Well, here's more of it now. Yeah, that uh, it's, it's it's like they're recre they're not recre they're creating a whole new story. Yeah. But with the same characters. Well, well, through I'd say one of the main things that hurts Revenge of the Nerds sequels is it's sort of a recycled plot. Mm. With different changes made to it, I do love. If we ever did a, a favorite sequels uh, countdown, I would put Revenge of the Nerds two, Nerds in Paradise, in my top five, maybe my top three easily. But it's essentially almost Revenge, Revenge of the Nerds, only they're at a fraternity conference in Florida where they're still dealing with alpha betas and being outcasts, and they're bringing more outcasts into their group, and they're trying to overcome. Instead of the Greek Council and the Alpha Betas in the college, they're trying to overcome the entire uh, organization of fraternities down there, which, of course, down there is being ran by Alpha Betas. Mm. And the third and fourth movies, uh, Revenge of Nerds 3, The Next Generation, they're back to dealing with Alpha Betas again. But this time, Lewis is uh, hes a computer professor at Adams College, and Stan becomes the dean of Adams College, so he can be the puppet for another guy. Mm. And you find out that Lewis marries Betty and all this stuff. And then it's, so it's Lewis's nephew coming down, and, and it starts off with Lewis loses his way. So he's trying to hide his nerd roots again. And now this new batch of Lambdas, even though they're the predominant fraternity on campus at this point, the Alpha Betas overtake them again. So now they're trying to overcome the odds and become the fight against the odds again. And Revenge of the Nerds 4, uh, Nerds in Love, essentially following uh, Booger, who's going to be marrying a gal who's an Omega Moo in her past uh, past years. But instead of overcoming a beef with the Alpha Betas, now they're overcoming this thing with what people have called nouveau riche, so like fake rich people. So now it's nerds versus fake rich people. So it's almost like this weird Romeo and Juliet thing, which is two clicks. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, so the plot does seem kind of recycled amongst the three sequels, but yeah, there, there are, I'll still watch the whole franchise three and four being made for TV hurts them, but they're still enjoyable. And like they're, corny three and four definitely are cornier but they're i ha, i would have a lot less trouble watching this whole the whole revenge of the nerds franchise as opposed to some other franchises that have like seven eight nine ten eleven movies it's not a numbers game there but every franchise is going to have its down points oh exactly yeah you, you can't they're yeah they're you try and make a, you know, franchise, and usually the first, it's kind of like, you know, the first two aren't so bad, but then you kind of get farther and farther into it, and there's not a, yeah, there's not always going to be the gems, right? There's always going to be that one that's like, uh, worth watching, but don't really want to see it again. But 
you know. And so, yeah, it's it's a tough doing a a franchise because, yeah, it's not always going to be perfect. I will revive. I'll watch Revenge of the Nerds for Nerds in Love over Seed of Chucky any day, or Halloween <laughs> Resurrection. <laughs> and and by the time you get to the fourth movie, I I think I need to relook at it. But by the time you get to the fourth movie, I believe there's only four or five actors from the original movie who appeared in all four movies as their characters. So you have Robert Carradine as Lewis appeared in all four movies. Jamie Cromwell who plays his father appeared in all four. Curtis Armstrong, who played Booger, has appeared in all four. Uh, Lamar has appeared in all four. I'll say there is one more. Booger, Lamar. For the longest time, I thought it was Takashi, but I, apparently he wasn't in the second one. And Ogre's only, Ogre's only been in three. Uh, Stan Gable's only been in three movies. Let's see, Anthony Edwards only appeared in the first one and the second one, but his career kind of took off after that with Top Gun and ER. Yeah. That that kind of hurt too, because one of the plot point one of the main plot points of Revenge of the Nerds 3 is that Gilbert and Lewis don't talk to each other anymore because Gilbert is ashamed of Lewis for Lewis losing his way. So when to spoil it for you, when Gilbert comes back at the end of the three, it's not Anthony Edwards. Mm. And they re, they recasted uh Wormser too. Okay. Yeah, but let's say it's definitely Lamar, Booger, Lewis, and Lewis's father. Uh, you get the same actor in all four of those movies, and and you get a lot of them. Like uh, Julia Montgomery comes back as Betty in the first one, the third one, the fourth one. Then it was Stan and Ogre. So you get those recurring characters, which is I think that's what helps. Is you get those a lot of those recurring characters in the same roles. Yeah. See, that's, yeah, that's not so bad in my mind, because as long as you, you have your, you know, most of the main characters that you know, then it's, then it's all right. If you have one that's sort of the, for lack of a better word, sort of the oddball, then, you know, it's not so bad, but it would be different if they recast completely, you know, like, oh, we're going to do a whole new movie, but we're not going to get the same people. Then that would be really weird and different. <clears throat> it probably wouldn't have, like, done as well as they, you know. Yeah, and I could see why they wouldn't get Anthony Edwards in the 90s, because he was busy with uh, ER at the time. So I could see why, or they probably didn't offer him enough money, or whatever it was. Yeah. I, could probably, look, I could probably look into more details of that, but it kind of... Get this whole build up old Gilbert and Lewis don't talk anymore. Now, oh, I think by number three, Gilbert is the head of the Trilams, like the the Lambda fraternity, or one of the high, or one of the higher ups of the actual fraternity itself. So by the, by the end of the third film, but I know like a, one of the big plot points is Lewis has forgotten his ways again, and he's trying to put the nerd stuff behind him and. Like him and Gilbert stopped talking. Yeah. Which would make sense because, like, with Gilbert, he's, you know, he was more, like, open and he encouraged, you know, being open and, and nerdy and being proud of it. And then, you know, and, like, it's a sort of understandable. Like, you sometimes you get to a point and you're like, well, should I, you know, like, it's, it's that growth period, right? Of, Okay, you go through that growth, and then it's like, well, 
you know, should I keep being who I am or do I completely change who I am? And, you know, but it's like, yeah, so I could see how they wouldn't, it, it makes sense that, yeah, well, I'm not gonna, you know, you're, you're not who, you know, I'm friends with or whatever that, well, you know, you're, if you're off doing your own thing, then whatever, I'm going off and doing my thing. So I could, it makes sense for them. And, and you really see an evolution of, of, of the characters in this first film too, because you, when we first meet Gilbert, he is in bed. Lewis and his father are outside, ready to go to college, and Gilbert's in his bed and trying to talk to, like, not not want to leave home, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And then by the end of the movie, he's given this huge speech because you see what all this perseverance he's gone through has pushed him too far to the point where I'm not taking this laying down anymore. So mm-hmm. about halfway through the point when the alpha beta is and the pies ruin their party. Gilbert's the one leading the charge. Or yeah, Booger's like, oh God, so we blow these guys up. We blow their houses up. We do all this stuff to them. But he's like, no, we can't resort to the, we can't resort to the level, but we do need to get even with them. Mm-hmm. So we got to beat them at their own game. Cause like, we're not getting a fair shout. The Greek council, the university's not doing anything. So we need to get back. So he's leading the charge of doing the panty raid and, putting the liquid heat and the jock straps of the alpha betas. And then later on in the movie, after they win the Greek carnival and they win the trophy and they come back and find out the, the betas have destroyed their house. He's still like, everybody's sitting there feeling defeated. And Gilbert's like, Oh, I'm, I'm not taking this anymore. And he goes to the pepper alley by himself. Everybody's trying to talk him out of it. And the same with Lewis, Lewis comes in, to Adams College, where we are now, the beautiful scenic Adams College. We're sitting in the quad right now where they carried their uh, their trunk across and they carried over those two people making out. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent of our body strength to get that over them, by the way. <laughs> but uh, Lewis comes into Adams College, I guess you could say for a lack of a better term, naive, optimistic and naive that it's going to be a great year, which you hear numerous times throughout the movie. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year, which was, I said a lot in 2016 when the Cubs were making a push for the world series. It's going to be a great year, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, you see this evolution of Lewis too. And, uh, he doesn't, he didn't see himself as a nerd or maybe he didn't know there was a, a title for what he was. He, he was just Lewis. Yeah. He was bright-eyed, optimistic. I hey, we're looking for a place to live. Can you can you ladies recommend a fraternity to us? So we go to the Alpha Betas, and he can even tell when after Gilbert Lewis come back from being humiliated by the Alpha Betas at, the, at their little ritual that they are. Gilbert's telling him, you know, that she set us up, and Lewis sees a little bit of defeat. Then they apologize and get up. And then when Gilbert meets Julie. Lewis is so happy for him, and Lewis ever optimistic they're going to get out of the gym, and it's going to still be a great year. And finds the house, and they that smile he gives, like when he takes him to the rundown house, isn't it great? A <laughs> little smile he gives him, and then you only and he doesn't really admit defeat that much when the the betas destroyed the party. Because he, he's he's there with Gilbert. He's like, I know what we need to do. I know what we're going to do. But he doesn't admit defeat until after the betas destroy their house. 
And that's when he's coming to realize, I am a nerd. So he's so in the same way, all this stuff that they've been overcoming, the whole movie, has had almost an opposite effect on him. It's broken him down. Where yeah. it pushed Gilbert too far to the fact that now he's going to, instead of being shy about it, he's going to stand out for it. And now, while the whole time Lewis knows things need to be done, it has defeated him, but now he has come to accept to it. When he sees Gilbert giving his speech, it's restored that confidence in him and that pride in him. Like, this is what I am. I don't care what anybody else thinks. And another thing that's another quote that sticks out to this to me from this movie, which we can say in our world is I got news for all you beautiful people. There's a lot more of us than our view. And that was something I was going to mention earlier, too. That was probably my first introduction to the term beautiful people. I got news for you beautiful people. There's a lot more of us than our view. And you can see that sinks into the jocks' minds when he says that. But it, you can do like a nice psychological study of how Gilbert and Lewis, how they kind of veer off towards the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. So right around the middle of the movie when the the betas and the pies wreck their party, that's when Gilbert starts to come out of his shell a little more, but Lewis is still staying the course, being Lewis, but it's when, towards the end of the movie, the third act, when he's finally broken down and then Gilbert brings him right back up. And you see with a lot of other guys, it, it, in the rest of the trial amps, it brings them close together. Definitely. Yeah, I think it is that, like, they were already, like, a a, a strong group to begin with. Like, they all, you know, all very different people, but then they all came together as their, their little, like, community. Yeah. But it was that, sort of, that bond started when they got kicked out of the freshman dorm yeah. and put in the gym together. Yeah, that was definitely it. Like, they all just... They, I think maybe it was just this unspoken realization of, you know what, you know, they're, we're all in one place and we all have to, you know, kind of um, make the best of this situation. So they all, you know, I think they all kind of just decide we're going to all get along, you know. And I really like, and I think that moment when they all kind of came together was when they're like, they all say goodnight to each other. You know, Good night. You know, and then you know, Booger, you know, he burps and everybody laughs. It's like, yep, that's you know, <laughs> that moment is when they all, yep, we're. we're that's the scene. That's the scene that stuck out in my mind as a kid. Is that scene right there? Yep. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I remember laughing the hardest at that. Yeah. Good night, <laughs> night Booger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can see a lot of the bonding going on in the gym with uh, Takashi and Booger playing cards together, and Booger just robbing Takashi blind at cards. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is a frush? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got two sevens. Two sevens beats frush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I watched I watched a couple of YouTube clips because they've got like a whole bunch of clips from the movie, and that was that was one of them. And oh my god! That's and that that's something you hear Curtis Armstrong talk about behind the scenes too is uh, how I guess it happened by chance when they filmed that scene where the bunks go whoever goes to what bunk, 
apparently, it, allegedly, it that's how it came by chance that Brian Tochi and Curtis Armstrong had bunks next to each other in the gym. So I think the director told me, hey, you two work on something to do together. And that's where they came up with the card game that goes throughout the movie of uh, Booger just cheating Takashi out of cards. And that's going back to another thing of uh, Brian Tochi who plays Takashi. He would go on to be the voice of uh, Leonardo in the first, I believe at least the first two Ninja Turtle movies oh. from uh, from 90 and 92. So the first one and then Secret of the Ooze, Brian Tochi was the voice of Leonardo. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So he'll, he'll have that spot in my heart for being the voice of Leonardo, but he's always going to be Takashi to me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you get the bonding. Of, and you get a lot of the no-name nerds. There's a lot of nerds that don't get named in this movie that pop up quite a bit, like the black curly hair nerd and the, the, the Harpo nerd, as he's referred to, the curly hair in the hat. And then you have the guy who's wearing the the nerd that's wearing the fedora, which I think I heard for the actually heard his name for the first time last night, but it's slipped my mind. I think I believe it was Raj something when uh, Dean Dean is uh, going through all the Dean Ulick is going through all the names of who's left in the gym. He's doing the roll call. I heard a name before that I hadn't heard before. But they're even like the note the the ex the nerds that are extras even play some good roles in it. Yeah, particularly, particularly the curly haired one, the black curly haired one. He's in the background of a lot of shots when him and I think it's him and Takashi are playing chess, and one of the basketballs comes flying over the over the curtain and breaks up their game. Yeah, it's it's interesting in this movie. Like everybody, and even like you know the extras, they all have a place somewhere in this in the movie. Like it's not you know somebody awkwardly standing in the corner or awkward you know. It's they are they're all doing something or interacting in some way, and I think that's great. That it's just as it's such a sort of like a natural flow of the you know the different scenes and stuff. It's not just place this just to have filler over here or whatever. They're all you know they all have some kind of purpose, and I and that's what I like about it too. That's what I think. Like I first noticed about the movie too is was just that yeah there wasn't anybody not like. They, they all fit in in some way. It was just a good... All the, all the pieces of the puzzle that, that made the movie, it just all came together nicely. Yeah. So should we actually... We're an hour into this episode already. We haven't barely talked about the actual movie itself. <laughs> so before we uh, dive in, a few fun facts I learned from the uh, behind-the-scenes... And watching deleted scenes, there's a lot of subplots in this movie that got erased. And one of them I'm kind of glad they did, and I understand why they took it out. And um, there is a scene, I don't know where they would place it in the actual timeline of the movie, but there is a scene where the Tri-Lambs go to Las Vegas to go to this national Lambda-Lambda-Lambda convention. And they show up, and a lot of the white characters show up in like traditional African clothing. <laughs> Just, <laughs> kind of weird and then you see lamar walking around talking uh he goes up to a gentleman and wearing a suit like where'd you get your suit who's your tailor they go that suit is hot who's your tailor and the guy's like still trying to answer and lamar goes never mind use mine and puts his card <laughs> and walks away and all the all the all the landers walk in <laughs> the, the people the people working the debt the the registration table are like oh 
oh, you and Jefferson knows us. <laughs> and and like, oh, they're trying to get him. And it, it, at some point, it's it's implied that Ewan doesn't want them there. He doesn't even want them in the fraternity. Mm. But as you learn in the movie, once they get payback on the Alpha Betas and the Pies after destroying their party, that's when he decides, hey, you guys stood up for yourself. So we welcome you. And I think it's they actually and they cut the scene out of the movie because they didn't want the nerd they didn't want the Adams Trilams to appear to have to overcome another kind of isolation or perseverance. So they just wanted to focus on just them persevering against the betas and the school. And another deleted scene was and this was a plot point they would originally use. They would move on to use in the third movie, uh, The Next Generation, with Stan Gable, of uh, the head Alpha Beta, Stan Gable, being a, a closet nerd, quote-unquote a closet nerd. So he always there were scenes where he leaves an Alpha Beta party to go up to his room and study. He's reading a book, and he's got glasses on. And when somebody knocks on the on his door, he takes his glasses off, puts the book in the drawer, and walks out. Which, if they would have tackled it, this way in the third movie, I think it would have been better mm. than it, than in the than in the uh, how they handled it in the third one because he just said, "Oh, I always wanted, to, I always wanted to hear it." I believe when they say in the third movie that he uh, Stan had a C average in school, but then he goes on to say, "I always wanted to have good grades, but my dad wanted me to focus on sports more." But I think if they would have taking this approach maybe in the third one where yeah, he's yeah he was a closet nerd but maybe they could have made it a little bit stronger yeah. and, then, and another plot point they're going to use involved stain was that he had a nerdy brother too who was going to come in and save him from the the i believe they're called the tough trilams at the end of the movie and all the when the jocks are about to attack gilbert again Ewan Jefferson shows up with all these other trilams to protect Gilbert so he can give his speech. And allegedly there was, uh, Stan had a nerdy brother that was going to come in and save him from getting attacked by the trilams or protect him from getting, or stop him from trying to attack the trilams. But, uh, so those are a few points. But I have, as I mentioned earlier, there a lot of the actors in this movie did not want to make the movie. They took it because it was a job. Yeah. And I don't know. I was asking this today. I don't know if Robert Carradine is just playing a character when he's doing this, when he's doing this behind the scenes stuff, or if he's this, for lack of a better term, arrogant. But he didn't want to do the movie because he, I guess he was a real macho guy. So he said, if Mel, if Mel, Mel would make a movie like this, so I don't, I don't want to make a movie like this. Hmm. Then he eventually came around. You also learn a lot of these guys also auditioned for Gilbert. So. Timothy Busfield, who plays Poindex, he auditioned for Gilbert. Uh, Curtis Armstrong, who plays Booger, he auditioned for Gilbert. And he tells a funny story, too, of how he auditioned for Gilbert, and they called him back, and they wanted him to read for Booger. And he told somebody, he goes, he goes, if they offer me Booger, they can just fucking forget it because I'm not picking my nose for anybody on camera. And then, he, and then they called me back, and I took the job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Timothy Busfeld, um, they called him back to read for Point Dexter, and 
it sounds like his wife, I don't know if his wife talked him into doing the movie in general or or coming back for Point Dexter, his first wife, because they needed the money. Go, it's a job. So then he went and found the costume for Point Dexter, went in, did the dance, and he got the job as Point Dexter. And I also heard that Ted McGinley turned down uh, the movie Bachelor Party to take Revenge of the Nerds. So I think by that point, he was a struggling actor. He'd been in Happy Days prior to uh, Revenge of the Nerds coming out, but a lot of these guys just took it took it for the job. Mm. And by the time and you hear about the how they partied on set, and one of the most popular uh, tidbits of trivia for this movie is that Robert Carradine and Anthony Edwards, particularly Robert Carradine, went down to the university two weeks early where they were filming this movie, and he took... The only clothes he took with him were Lewis's clothes. <laughs> and he says he couldn't, he didn't leave his dorm room for three days or he didn't leave his room for three days, but he talked Anthony and it was rush week when they were down there. So he talked Anthony Edwards into <laughs> rushing fraternities <laughs> with him. <laughs> and he said that, and he said that word got out that they were there doing this, except for the head. They went to an alpha beta like fraternity and all the frat brothers, except for the lead guy, except for the president, knew that they were there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they tried to play a prank on this guy, the frat, about, hey, these two guys want to pledge. And they're there in their Gilbert Lewis costumes. And they said the guy's in there partying and dancing. Like, hey, Roy, or whatever his name was, hey, these two guys want to pledge. And he goes, he stopped, looked at him, and goes, nope. <laughs> he went right back to partying. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> but, they, but they would talk about the cast would talk about how they partied all the time and all the improv stuff they did while they were filming. Most of Point Dexter stuff was on the spot. A lot of stuff between Booger and Takashi is up on the spot. And I think they said Timothy Busfield would throw out like 50 things a day for Point Dexter. Like one of them would be really funny. And one of the funniest ones is the scene when they set up the, the cameras and they're watching the pies after the panty raid. Mm-hmm. They're sitting there watching the camera. Timothy Busfeld says, hey, keep rolling. I got something funny. Keep rolling. Keep rolling. So when they get to the end of that scene, they keep on rolling. And you hear Point X go, ah! <laughs> and he looks down at his pants with alleged reaction or erection. <laughs> and what makes it funny is Timothy Busfeld, how he tells the story, is that he just saw shadows behind the, the crew just disappearing because they're laughing. And if you listen real close, next time you watch the movie, Melissa, when you watch that scene, listen really close before it goes to the next scene, you hear the director laughing. (laughs) Okay. Well, all the other actors kept it straight. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have to remember that now. (laughs) First time I heard that, the first time I heard that, it's kind of like when you watch the the cowbell sketch on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. If you're like me, you never knew there was a cowbell in that song, Don't Fear the Reaper, until you watch that sketch. Yeah. <laughs> then when you listen to that song, that's all you hear is cowbell. Yeah, that's all you hear and you laugh and you're like, But ah. after after hearing that tidbit of information, Revenge of the Nerds, that you hear the director laughing, I hear it loud and clear every time I watch the movie now. <laughs> I, probably watch it, I probably watched the movie a hundred times before I even knew that. And I hear it every time I watch the movie now. But it's real, it's real quick. You hear like a little, you hear like a quick sticker before they go to the next scene. 
<laughs> okay, I'm going to have to, uh, yeah, definitely uh, keep my ears out for that one. That'd be funny to, funny to hear. <laughs> so is there any funny moments in the movie that stick out to you right away? Like every time, every time you see this scene, it makes you laugh. Or if you just sit and think about a scene that makes you laugh. Um, the um, the liquid heat in the in the jock strap. Oh, it looks like salad. <laughs> another another uh, another improv line by yeah. Brian Tochi. <laughs> and um, and then like the the uh, the tricycle race. Yeah, and a beer and oh my god. So so what do you think? What do you think about this theory? Do you think the trilams cheated? Yes. They did. They basically. But, do you they, think it, but is it just, but is it justifiable? Yes. Like yes, they cheated because they used the the thing with the trichloromethylene. Yeah. To, which is an, which is an imaginary drug. Yeah, just you know, suppress the the effects of of alcohol and okay, yes, that's cheating because then you know we could have as many beers as it takes to you know go around whenever they're not going to get drunk, whereas the other guys are and they did. Um, but it is also justifiable because it's like you know, hey, we won something, you know, like kind of sticking it to them, right? They so. come out. They come out and win the first event right out of the gate. Yeah, and I think that that just shows that they're not, you know, it's kind of like don't mess with us. Like we're going to be, you know, a challenge for you. So I, th- I think it's it sends that that message to them that nope, you know, we can beat you at your at your own game kind of thing. So they're they're resorting to their tactics because they, they they know that's what they have to do. Mm-hmm. And they know they know they're the underdog the underdogs going into the athletic events. Yeah. So what do you th- speaking of fairness in the events, how do you feel about Ogre arm wrestling a, a woman in the uh arm wrestling competition? I think that was um Cuz you see a lot of the male trilams are arm wrestling the pies. Yeah. Then you, they have Ogre arm wrestling an Omega Moo. I thought that was kind of interesting. Like it's too like obviously very different people and they're you know arm wrestling and i think you know it certainly was a it wasn't easy like it was you know they're fighting then finally you know you you see you see that fear in his eye at one point when she's got his arm past the halfway point he's He's like that worry in his eye (laughs) that he he, he starts crying (laughs) (laughs) he's like no you know, I thought that was good that it was like, oh, a girl's gonna, you know, it's. <laughs> he's like, oh crap! Just, just, oh, that, yeah. just a surprise in his eye. He's got like, the, yeah. if you watch wrestling, he's got the Luke Harper eyes, like looking all around, bug, like what, what? <laughs> and then he fights her back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I like. But, I particularly like that one, that scene too. <laughs> but I, I do like, I do like Booger uh, picking his nose before he arm wrestles the move. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I I love how how his his strategy was like, okay, uh 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 oh, and 
and down with it, least expecting it. It's like, ah, <laughs> I like your tactics. <laughs> do you know, do you know, do you know, also in that scene, he wipes it on Lewis's shirt. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you see Lewis checking his sleeve. I think one thing I like about that scene too is Poindexter wrestling, arm wrestling that moon. You see that Poindexter has that face like his head's about to explode. Like, struggles to get slammed down and I think it's the Harpo nerd or the or the other curly haired lamp Trilam gets beat too but then you it really starts to pick up when Booger picks his nose and <laughs> pins that girl right away yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, but of course you can't talk about the uh the homecoming, the athletic competition of the carnival without talking about the infamous belching scene, the the belching contest between Ogre and Booger. Yep. <laughs> Have you heard the rumors of what that uh, that's actually the noise? What the actual noise is? No. What is it? Well, Curtis Armstrong has gone on and said that it's supposed to be the sound of two camels mating. <laughs> but there's also one. <laughs> where it's and according to IMDb trivia, it's the sound of somebody belching mixed with a camel. But it's, allegedly, it's been uh, the sound of a camel orgasming. <laughs> <laughs> of all the sounds, it has to go with that one. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to like watch that, that movie and get to the scene and I'm just going to like be <laughs> picturing a camel. Don't watch the movie before you go to sleep tonight then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that image in my mind. That'd be awful. <laughs> Look, I mentioned earlier, uh, being a tug of war team, watching the tug of war scene, that is definitely a scene that stuck with me for a long time. Yeah, watching the Alpha Betas beat the if it was the Rose or the ROTC that they beat in the first round, but that or unless it was uh, Delta Pi Gamma, whoever they beat in the first one, but then they go to face the Trilams. The Trilams just let go of the rope and take the loss. Watch all the Betas fall down. That scene has stuck out in my mind. Like I said, being in a tug of war club for the last three years. There's not a, a week or two that comes by where I do not think of that scene or just letting go of the rope when somebody's trying to pull on me. And there was there's teams that will do that. If you're like pulling the rope before you say say start, they'll let go of the rope. Mm. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people fall down on the rope too. So. <laughs> well, the, the Alpha Betas dude has some some smart strategies too when it comes to competing in that um, having. When they do the Trojan horse, have an ogre sit in, sit on the Trojan horse because they know all the triumphs aren't going to be able to lift, knock ogre off the Trojan horse. So they play that to their advantage, or even having Stan being the quarterback doing the javelin throw. Yeah. But then have it. What about what about uh, Lamar's special javelin designed by uh, Worms? Or do you think that's cheating? Or do you think that's uh... Uh, that's not that's not cheating. That's playing it. That's like they throughout the the events, they played it pretty smart. Like they they you know using people and their their strengths and stuff. And I think that wasn't cheating. That was just oh let's use this you know use this javelin and this guy and 
you know, I think they they played that smart. I think it was it was strategy, not cheating. It definitely is it's their 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 advantage. I wonder what 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 inspired Takashi to be their representative for the tricycle race of all the members they had, which. Just wondering, this is my first time thinking, like, what? Then we're looking at this, okay, having Wormser design a specialty javelin for Lamar's Olympus throwing style, as Gilbert says, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Booger doing the Belching contest makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what the, wonder what the thinking was behind uh, having Takashi be the uh, designated guy for the tricycle race. Yeah. Because that wasn't really, it was never explained. It was just well, you just see him on the bike, and that's well, what he's doing. Well, there's there's a deleted scene too from the carnival. They do a chariot race, which the Trilams win that one too. Okay. And Wormser Wormser isn't Wormser is in the chariot, so he's the lighter one. So it makes sense to have him. Yeah. Have him being there. You're not gonna have to do the tricycle race because he's his character is only 12 years old in the movie, so yeah. you're not gonna or he's. 12, 13, 14 years old, so you're not going to have him chugging beer during a tricycle race. Yeah. But, uh, so what, this makes me wonder, like, what, okay, what was the thinking behind that? Yeah. Well, why would, why would Takashi be the representative for the, uh, tricycle race? But it works. It works, yeah. Maybe is it just, I don't know. Did they think he'd be, like, because he's a, he's sort of a tinier guy, so maybe do they think, like, He'd be quicker, like that little bit faster. Or no, because they got a lot of like point point dexter's pretty point dexter's pretty. A lot of the guys in stature are pretty small. They are, so yeah, I don't know. Or just I don't know. Maybe he just volunteered for it. He just was like, I'm going to do that. Well, maybe maybe someday we'll meet Jeff Canoe, who directed the movie, or whoever wrote it. Like, why Takashi? Yeah. Not that we're saying saying no, because I love Takashi. I love Takashi. I love every every trilam in this movie. Mm-hmm. This like, why Takashi? Yeah. Why Takashi for the bicycle race? It was a strat because you could see a lot of the nerds strated a lot of the trilam strategy the the Omega Lambda team. You could see a lot of their strategy for um maybe the arm wrestling competition. Maybe that's what they thought they maybe they're at a loss for those either way. Mm-hmm. But uh. What was the strategy of having Takashi do the tricycle race? Yeah. I don't know. I've always kind of wondered that, too. Like, it just seemed kind of random. But Maybe Canoe just thought, hey, you're a nerd for believing too much, breathing too much into this. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. (laughs) He's just... Put all the names in the hat, and he came out of it. So that's it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Quit philosophizing about it. <laughs> oh, to rewind a little bit, when you talked about when they're getting revenge on Al- Takashi's getting revenge on Alpha Beta, or well, they're all getting revenge on Alpha Beta so by putting uh, liquid heat in their jock straps. Going back a little bit further in the movie, when Takashi is like holding the laundry basket for them, mm. one of my favorite insults I try to use on people. Is when Stan Gable goes, "Do you know karate?" <laughs> and Takashi goes, "No," and Gable says, "Good," and puts his jock over <laughs> Takashi's face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just that kind of line, like, "Do you know karate?" No, good. He's <laughs> doing something like that. <laughs> it's such a hilarious moment. I think about it. 
We're going up to somebody. Do you know? Do you want to mess with somebody? Do you know karate? No, good. <laughs> do something. <to> <laughs> Not necessarily going so far as to put a jock on their face, but but, but yeah, you, you know you won't get your your ass kicked if you do something or say something. <laughs> Preparing yourself. <laughs> okay, I'm safe. Uh. Do you know karate? No, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, this wouldn't be an 80s movie without a montage. So you get the house fixing up montage. Mm-hmm. Which by far, as far as movie montages go, fight me right now. I will say it right now. The montage of the Trilamps fixing up their house, hands down better than any Rocky montage. Come on. Agreed. I was actually listening to that song. On my way to record it, he got to put one foot in front of the other foot, your other foot, down, down, down. <laughs> and there's more of that, more of that improv point extra stuff with the robot when he's trying to avoid getting hit by the uh, robot. Ah! <laughs> and he's getting attacked by the robot and he's yelling. <laughs> or when he's, try- when he's trying to paint the pole and he's a foot and a half away from the pole with the paintbrush. <laughs> Yeah, and to get more good booger, booger and Takashi interaction there too. And Takashi is painting the wall, and he's offering booger's offering hits off a joint. <laughs> Do you feel it? Oh, booger, I feel nothing. You better take another hit. <laughs> and anything now? And Takashi goes, I feel nothing at all. And he falls over at the paint roller, going all the way down. <laughs> and booger just stand there. How about now? <laughs> yeah no it is it is by far the best montage ever (laughs) yeah because you kind of you kind of get to know more of the characters and just how they are and and them a little team building project yeah and how they're they're just interacting with each other and working together and yeah it's a great uh great thing what about wherever we've touched on it here and there? What about the infamous party scene they throw for you and Jefferson to show that they're trialing material? <laughs> Hilariously awkward. <laughs> so, <laughs> just like standing there and the music's playing. And, <laughs> and there's, there's, and I've seen the movie a thousand of times. And I watched it last before we, I watched it last night as this is a refresher. Maybe I pick up on something that I didn't see before. And I still sharpest attack when it comes to watching it. But there was one thing I think I did pick up on was before the party kicks into high gear after Booger busts out the wonder joints, <laughs> when Poindexter is playing his violin, and just the reaction on you and Jefferson's face, like, ugh. <laughs> 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 when the party starts kicking the gear and Julie's oh right before that when Julie said, Hey, I'm gonna I'll invite my sorority sisters over after the pie, stand them up. And watching Booger, not the moose, they're a bunch of pigs <laughs> while he's picking his nose. <laughs> another another good point dexter problem was point dexter with the blender in the background <laughs> with his hand in the blender. Ah! <laughs> 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 
<laughs> have you noticed the uh a camera goof with once the trial once like right on time thrillers playing and everybody's parting letting loose a little bit now yeah. have you noticed the the fact that the harpo the what he's called the harpo tri lambda with the curly hair and the fedora do you notice he's in two scenes at once i haven't noticed no really and, in one scene, he's dancing one of the moves in the living room. I think it's, it might be, I think it's when Lewis is dancing with the girl in the living room. Yeah. And they, they cut over to, I believe it's, might be Poindexter and that girl. And he's in the background with another moo drinking where the <laughs> blender is. <laughs> they cut back and he's in the, and he's in the living room again. <laughs> he moved quickly. <laughs> see, it's, it's, it's vice versa. So he, they yeah. either show him in the kitchen two different times, or they in the living room once, or they show him on the dance floor twice, and in the or in the yeah. drink area. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how many scenes can we put him in? All of them. <laughs> well, one of the things. One of the things that makes the party is the point Dexter dance scene too. Yeah. Uh, to thriller, that's, and we gotta get we get we gotta get that trend starting. Let's, yes. let's start the let's start the porn Dexter challenge. <laughs> yes, oh, I'm down. I'm so down for that. That needs to be a thing. <laughs> that's a challenge. I'd totally be a part of. <laughs> so, junior ambassadors, to see that out there. We're going to issue a challenge to you. You got to do the Point Dexter dance to Thriller. <laughs> you can post it on our Facebook or on our Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa and I will do it. Yeah. We'll post our own videos and we'll do the Point Dexter challenge. <laughs> yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. <laughs> the Point Dexter challenge. Yes. I will do it. I talked about. I I probably talked about it a lot as a kid. That's <laughs> one thing I was going to ask my dad last night. Is that how old was I when I first watched Revenge of the Nerds? Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of iconic scenes in the movie, hands down, another one of the most iconic scenes has to be their musical performance at during the carnival. Mm-hmm. They just blow people out of the water. Yeah. And I, uh, Poindexter's quote unquote electric violin. Another fun fact is the screeching that you hear Poindexter playing throughout the whole movie. That's actually a slowed down version of what he actually plays during that performance. <laughs> and what it is that's actually Timothy Busfield playing the violin the whole time throughout the whole movie? He doesn't know how to play violin. Oh, okay. And they told him they're going to dub over it, but they actually left those screeches. That's actually him playing. Oh. Cool. They, they told me they're gonna dub that out, but they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and I think at the it's funny at the time because um, I I used to play violin and I did lessons for like one year and it was sort of in that time and to see like the electric violin I'm like oh. <laughs> I'm like why don't I have one of those <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> Just watching how he shakes his little hips when he's doing it too. 
Like I said, Point Poindexter rocks the hell out of a mohawk. Yeah, because you see him, but you see him with spiky hair again in uh, Revenge of the Nerds Two: Nerds in Paradise, mm-hmm. and he gets put behind the wheel of a tank. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's uh, that's asking for trouble, maybe. <laughs> He does his point extra yell. Ah! <laughs> it's almost like he was doing a bad ET scream, like a bad ET impression. Yeah. But it works. Mm-hmm. Totally works. Just adds random humor. <laughs> that scene at the end where you hear the, the director laughing, though. Like, how can you. <laughs> Keep the camera on. Keep the camera on. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All the if I were to be busted, my voice would be so hoarse. But I did a film in one day, like doing the Trojan horse. <laughs> yeah, there would be like no voice left after that. <laughs> So you mentioned earlier we talk about the infamous speech from Gilbert at the end of the movie when he's he's been pushed too far. Um, anything else iconic about that scene for you besides the speech he gives? You think it's an act? Because me and you have discussions a lot, and you you tend to break things down a lot from a child psychology point of view or being in a childcare profession point of view. Any other... Is there any way you could psychologically break down anything from this or from any aspect of the movie? I think just... uh, Like, a lot of the movie is... It's, yeah, like that... You know, you said earlier, the coming of age, the kind of getting to know... Like, everybody grows and evolves, and you see that throughout the movie. And then right at the end... It's that everybody, it's that sort of empowering moment of like, this is who we are. And, you know, and they're, they're inspired by that from, from Gilbert making his speech and, and, you know, that realizing that, hey, it's not so bad to, you know, be yourself and to have the interests that you have and, you know, to come out of that. And like everybody else does, like they're all initially, you know, no, that's silly, that's, you know, crap, whatever. I'm, you know, they've all kind of had their their sort of bubble of whatever image they want. And then near the end, they, they come out of that. And I think that was that was gently encouraged throughout the, the movie, is that gentle, you know, let's just, you know, like slowly crumble that wall that you've built and bring it down and, you know, this is who you are and it's okay to be who you are. And I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's a growth period for everybody. You know, college is like you, you get through, you know, your, your elementary school, your high school, and even through high school, you're, you're slowly growing and maturing. And then even more so in college, like you're, you're more of an adult and, you know, you have more responsibilities and things. And so, you know, they're going through their, 
more of a phase, and then they realize, no, this is solid, like, who I am. And they're okay with it, because they're at that point of, like, yeah, they're old enough to say, you know what? No, this isn't too bad. This is okay. And they can kind of come to terms with it. So... It even goes as far to inspire Dean Ulick, too, because that's when he decides to stop stop taking the bullying from uh, John Goodman's Coach Harris character. And you see that reaction from the Alpha Betas when Ulick pushes John Goodman back. Mm-hmm. Which that's another scene that stood out with me as a kid, too. Like I mentioned, that, like, a lot of the humor went over my head as a kid, but that was one line I always remember from Dean Ulick when Go- Coach Harris says, says who? And... You look far as back, says me, you asshole, and he shoves Coach Harris back. Mm-hmm. And just that look of shock in the Alpha Beta's eye, like you look is standing up to the coach. Yeah. And you could see you could see John Goodman's character's disrespect throughout the whole film. Yeah. And how he's encouraging his players, his team. The Alpha Betas burn their own house down. Mm-hmm. And He's pressuring Yulik. Well, what about my guys? What about my guys? And even Yulik is trying to fight back. Well, they should have thought about that before they burned their house down. Yeah, he's he's not he he's not he's kind of thinking that oh, I've like I've got the perfect group. He's turning a blind eye to their imperfections. He's he's not seeing what they really are. Like they well, were the ones who he's he's what alpha betas grow up and to be. Yeah. So he's he's a guy who's once an alpha beta, always an alpha beta. Mm-hmm. Which is something, you, which is something you're going to get in the second movie and the third movie too, is that these alpha, these alumni alpha betas, they still think it's popular to it's, it's still important to be the the big guy on campus. Yeah. So yeah. you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever age you may be, they think it's still important to be the big man on campus at that point, so they can. They're gonna put. They're gonna walk all over guys like Dean Ulick. Ulick's gonna try to, who has the actual authority, but he knows Ulick's not gonna do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Then Gil, watching the Trilams push past all this throughout the whole movie, and you can see it throughout several times in the movie where I believe it's after the Alpha Betas put the flaming sign on the yard after the Trilams become an official fraternity. You can see that disappointment in Elix's eyes because the Alpha Betas run the Greek Council. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the point where the Trilams say, "Okay, we need to take control of the Greek Council. We're never going to get a fair shake as long as Stannis president." Yeah, and that's when they decide, "Okay, this is why we need to we need to attack the Homecoming Carnival like this because we're not going to get a fair shake around here." And you can see it in Elix's eyes when Gable uh, does not, since it's the Dean Ulick says that the evidence is strong against the Alpha Betas. And you even see bullying going on from Gable to Dean Ulick. Well, I think a vote like this is premature right now. I'm an Alpha Beta. I think this is premature and blah, blah, blah. So you get these guys that are too big for their britches, think they're running the town, running the campus. And I'd say Ulick takes his glasses off and just kind of looks down when that meeting is adjourned. When the Lambs Trans are trying to fight back, they this is bullshit. And look, the actual quote from Booger: "This is bullshit." And you know, they're getting screwed, and Ulick really can't do anything about it. Like the first time, they, the first time the Trans go to the Greek Council and they try to get certified, they don't. And the whole 
council turns them down, it's because they don't have an official sponsor. Yeah. They don't have official fraternities as a sponsor, so you can't really, okay, well, this is just the the pies and the betas picking on them. You look back, somebody, do you, according to our charter, you need to have a national fraternity as your sponsor. Do you have one? No, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So that, so you don't, so there, there's a time right there where you can't say, well, this is okay. Okay. This is a legitimate, legitimate problem they had to overcome. Okay. Well, we need to go out and find a, a fraternity. But when they come back and they're still getting hazed and they're still getting the runaround, you see that defeat in Dean Ulick's eyes. Like, there's nothing he can do about it. But he keeps seeing these trilams and the moves keep pushing forward, trying to gain a little headway. They don't let anything back down. Mm-hmm. But it's just so sad watching him say, to watch him get bullied in his position, getting bullied by John Goodman saying, well, well, guess what? You'll, your players burn their house down. Well, they got a big game coming up. I can't have their minds focused on where they're going to live. They need to be focused on this game. Well, they should have thought that before they burn their house down. And he lets John Goodman bully them into throwing all the freshmen out of the dorm and moving into the gym, which that comes back around at the end of the movie where it becomes public knowledge that the, the Alpha Betas destroyed the house. And there's a scene act, there's a deleted scene too where the Trilamps come back. And some of the alpha betas are still at the house. So, so they essentially get caught red handed mm-hmm. by the, by the three main alpha betas. So I like how it comes back around with that of Dean Ulick saying, we're what we're in the alpha betas are like, well, you know what? I think I'm going to let the trilams live at your house while you got you, while you, the coach and your players, while you guys rebuild their house. Well, where about us? Where are we going to live? Well, your jocks go live in the gym. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like perfect. You know, comes comes back around for you, and the, and and that's where I think, like, you know, their coach he completely failed. He could have taught them, you know, this is the consequences of your actions, and he didn't do that. He was just turning that blind eye and being like, nope, you got to be, you know, he they got to be focused on football and sports and everything, and they can't, you know anything else and they you know have to you know never you know be weak or whatever or just you know and bully people and and yeah i think that wasn't it wasn't a very good move you know it's just like it's not the the coach the coach is a and you'll meet uh the manager of the hotel in the sequel and the guy who pressures stan into being the dean in the third movie how Alpha betas who think it's still cool to, the the being the big man on campus after you graduate it's still important to them. Mm. You see how that the effects of what that does going unchecked. Because yeah. once you graduate school or college, it doesn't matter if you're still the top guy on campus. Your success, your standing in life has no effect on how you are in high school or college. No, nope. you can, you can, you can't have that. <clears throat> that like I'm awesome thinking process. You can't because real life is like no. You can do like life can say you can do awesome things, but you're not awesome. Like we're gonna no. It doesn't matter who you are. We're gonna treat you how we treat you, and you know some things are gonna bite you in the butt. You know, and that's how it's got to be. You know, and they and they don't learn that at all. 
you know, and they should have. They they should have been taught that. It's a lot like have you heard? Have you are you a Bowling for Soup fan at all? A little bit, yes. Have you heard their song "High School Never Ends"? Yes. Essentially, like that. Yeah. About how it's funny that being the popular one in high school or college in 10, 20 years on the road, being prom king or being captain of the college football team, that's still important to you for mm-hmm. for the reasons it shouldn't be. Yeah. So the so coach on that, we don't know a backstory on the coach of Coach Harris, but you got to assume maybe he was on the Adams football team. He was captain of the football team. He was your he he was a Stan Gable or Dan Burke or an ogre. He came in thinking he was hot shit. Mm-hmm. He graduated thinking he was hot shit. So now knowing that he is more powerful, yeah. size wise, more masculine than Dean Ulick is, and you see in the background when he's after the betas lose the carnival. You see him when the the alpha betas are all dressed up as cheerleaders and the pies are dressed up as football players. John Goodman's having a good laugh and everything, laughing at his guys, supporting them. Then when he finds they lose, then he flips that switch. And you see in the background, he's chewing them out. Only the strong shall survive. Mm -hmm. So he's going out that mentality of, uh, I'm stronger than Dean Ulick, so I'm going to push him around. Yeah. So yeah. having that mentality, it's come back to bite the coach, and then and then you you look finally stands up to him. And Coach Harris is about to retaliate before you and Jefferson steps in and brings those other trilams in. And it, I think it shows the the betas and the tri, the betas and Coach Harris so like there's more than just these trilams. There's this isn't just a nerd. Uh, "Quote unquote nerd fraternity." There is some big dudes that are trilams, and these guys protect their own. And mm. so it's it's showing a real change of the guard, and you you see that in the third one, where the the trilams have become the predominant fraternity on campus, and the alpha betas are the minorities. Mm. But then a, a former alpha beta comes in and tries to restore them to their former glory. And then putting a former alpha beta in as the dean of the school. So it's kind of flip-flop from the first one. Yeah. Yeah, it makes for a change. But at least, like, with, you know, in, in some of the moments that, you know, the trilums they won their, their little competitions or whatever, like, you know, the dean, he was like, yes, ha, ha, ha. You know? Like, I, can't remember, I can't remember which competition it was where you see Dean Mulek laughing up on the yeah. stage. So I can't remember which one. I think I think it was Booger winning the arm wrestling competition. But at the same during the carnival, we also see the disrespect that Coach Harris shows towards the university <laughs> when Dean Ulick is doing the opening ceremonies and Coach is just sitting there flipping his little starting gun around, just sitting there mm-hmm. while the rest of the whoever the board or the president, the president, all the board of the school is just sitting. All standing, and the coach is just sitting there, twirling the gun and not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like oh, I'm just going to leave it to everybody else, and I'm not going to do anything, you know. And maybe in some backstory that we don't know, he just 
yeah, flew on the seat of his pants. And yeah, or he was, you know, the hot shit all the way through and he continued that and then he got, you know, lazy, like, uh, eh, just let everybody else do it. You know, I'll just twirl my gun over here. <laughs> you know. firm, this is the Darwin effect of the, the strong shall survive. And that's, it's paint on the wall in the football locker room. That's what he thought. That's the attitude he took towards life. I'm stronger than Danny looks, so I'm going to push Dean, people like Dean Ulick around. So that's how I'm going to I'm going to pose my will upon Dean Ulick because I am bigger than him. I am stronger than him. Mm-hmm. And Ulick gets inspired by watching these guys who aren't physically the strong ones, but they are fighting their way back. Yeah. They are fighting to become the dominant, or not necessarily dominant, but they're drawn. The line in the sand has been drawn for them. Mm-hmm. And they're determined to, you know, kind of pick themselves up and and be stronger than they are and not be seen as some. They're not going to they're not going to take this laying down anymore. And another another line that goes with that, another line from the movie that goes like this is nobody's going to be free until nerd persecution ends. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to truly be free till nerd persecution ends. Yeah. And you can also. You look from a modern modern set of eyes. Yeah, nerds versus jocks, kind of a corny storyline. You could probably poke some holes in, but they yeah. throw a little bit of depth into it. Yeah, but it's it's yeah, it's a kind of corny story where it's always like yeah, the the jocks and the nerds they don't get along or whatever. And but it's also showing that you know they bring that that story out of the determination of the of the group and and that no, they're not just going to be seen as people you can push around. Like you said, they're not going to take it lying down anymore. Nope, we're we're getting shit done, you know. And they do, and they're they're successful. So, you know, they don't let a lot get to them. And you you get to see that you get to see it a public persona. What happens if with so much of this stuff, this this uh, behavior when it breaks them in the different ways? Like we said earlier, Gilbert has had enough. He branches off in this direction. Lewis has had enough. He branches off in this direction. So Gilbert gets inspired. Lewis gets Lewis feels that defeat, but comes right back up at the end with Gilbert. Yeah. And I think, yeah, if that didn't, you know, that had to happen with, you know, Lewis getting picked up again by Gilbert. Because I just think that that definitely needed to happen because he needed that spark. Because I think if he he might have, well, he might have picked himself back up because he's a pretty optimistic guy, but it did kind of bring him down. It really did. Like, that was something that just kind of knocked him to his knees. Just, just and, he, he had that, he had that high of him yeah. and his team, him and his team winning the homecoming carnival. They won control of the Greek council and then coming home and finding this thing. So even though they won, he feels like they still lost. Yeah. This it was like this house was a, a baby to them. This is something they built, rebuilt together. Yeah, like they and, that's they started. It was their foundation, and they built that together. And to have that torn down was a big thing for him because I think that was a start of something really awesome. And it was, you know, they, this is okay. They've formed their foundation, and they've got you know they fixed it up, and now look at them, you know. And they, they go through their 
their challenges and they overcome them and then they get knocked down and it's like oh you know but then they pick themselves back up because despite all the things that lewis has put up with in the movie he's still riding pretty high so he he gets kicked out of his dorm he gets led on by this girl yeah fights all this bullying and hazing but still says i'm gonna finds a house rebuilds it with his friends makes some lifelong connections meets new people um helps his friends get control of the greek council they've been fighting the whole time ends up landing a date with the head cheerleader which we're i for there's some aspects of this movie i don't want to talk about because that there's some aspects of this movie that are kind of taboo i didn't really want to discuss like the moon the Scene of him and Betty, that's a little taboo. I don't really want to touch that if, if that's okay with you at the carnival. But so Lewis is riding pretty high. They win the carnival. He gets he gets the girl at the end. And then just this it's like they just slam into a brick wall when the alphabetists come and destroy their house. It's like we do all these things. It feels like we yet the betas still find something to do to bring us back down. And, like, and that's when he says, we're never, he says, tells Gilbert, you'll be dead by then, Gilbert. Gilbert's trying, Gilbert's the one that's trying to say positive. We're going to take control of the Greek council next year. Well, big deal. You'll be dead by then, Gilbert. Just by being the, for the first time in the whole movie, being pessimistic. It's even when Betty sells them out at the beginning of the movie to the Alpha Betas, when she sets them up, he's like, I don't think she's that kind of person. Yeah. Like, he's still trying, he's still trying to hang on to that shirt of optimism. Yeah. And like after they re- rebuild the house, like hey, I told you, we'd find a better place. Mm-hmm. Or optimistic that the pies are going to show up to be their dates, and then, well, I think they're they stood at all. Oh, we're in the UNS. Hey, we're all those sorority chicks supposed to have a date. Oh, well, you know, they're just being fashionably late. And then his spirits are still lifted up. Like, oh, well, I'll call it, the Mega Moons are coming. So, but just seeing that crushing defeat. But it's great that he's got Gilbert to lift him back up, and you see Gilbert. Gilbert finds love too in this movie. There's a deleted scene where it shows him and Judy getting close together too. They're so they're one of those couples that's so cute it makes me want to puke. <laughs> they're so <laughs> they're so adorable together, Gilbert and Judy. Yeah, like... the deleted scene they're holding hands and everything, and he buys her a sweater before they go to the Triland convention. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I really I, I really do like I really do like Gilbert's. Um, evolution in this movie his from being the guy nervous to go to college to go away from home to go to college and then by the end of the movie he's head of the Greek council mm-hmm. yeah I think that's pretty neat and I think that's that's kind of a lot to do like if you really look at it you break it down whenever that it's sort of like life too like you know you somebody traveling away from home, whatever, and and to go to college or whatever, or just doing something different, you're initially nervous. You're unsure. You don't know what the hell is coming up. And you go through, you know, your motions of something, and you just, you don't realize it until you have a moment, and it's like, wow, like all the things I've done and how much you've, you know, you've grown out of it. And so it's the same thing here. It's he's, you know, he was shy. He was unsure. And then he just decided to, you know, hit the ground running. And he was successful in that. So I think that's pretty cool. 
What do you think was his big confidence booster? Where do you think where do you think his turning point was? Where he started to get more steadfast? I'd, I'd say it'd be after the alpha betas and the in the pies interrupt the party. Yeah. With the, or letting the pigs loose. That's that's a, I think it's a moment. Do you think maybe dating Judy gave him that confidence booster, do you think? I think so. Meeting somebody? Yeah. Meeting somebody like somebody that actually takes interest in him. And was like, oh, like, you know, and I can kind of confidence booster. But then I also think, yeah, at that moment when they were interrupted at the party, that was a big moment for them. And it got ruined. And he's like, okay, that's enough. Like, I think he he realized, no, something needs to be done. That we can't be, you know, taking this shit anymore. You know, And, and then they, that's when he, you know. Does that sort of 180 and he goes forward. I mean, they do it in a very strategic way, too. Yeah. Because Booger's like, I think we should blow him up. We should blow the fuckers up. Oh, Gilbert's like, we can't resort to violence and we'll just be sinking to another level. But we have to beat them at their own game. Otherwise, they're going to keep walking all over. Or we're, let's just say, we're nothing more than nerds. If we don't do something, we're nothing more than nerds they say we are. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he. Yeah, it was that sort of a little bit of that empowering moment. Like, no, they're you know, we gotta we gotta figure something out. And they, you know. so we, he certainly leads that strongly. So, any other closing thoughts you have on the movie before we wrap it up tonight? No, just that I'm a nerd and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> after seeing this movie <laughs> and that's what I got <laughs> it's such a great movie and I yeah. I know since I broke the seal last night of watching the first one for the 10 million and ninth time <laughs> I will more likely over the next few days few weeks I will finish the I will finish the uh, franchise the other three movies absolutely like I said in episode one, I'm episode one episode two. I'm so glad this movie did not get remade. Mm-hmm. This movie is so near and dear to my heart. I know Sid Nightmare Before Christmas is my favorite movie of all time, but this has to be my favorite live action movie of all time. And the watching it so much as a kid growing up has that sentimental value to it. And it's one of those, it's like I said, it's one of those movies where I can turn the volume off, I can quote it line for line. And now that I understand some of the references and jokes, <laughs> particularly that Booger makes, <laughs> and, and I know, like we just said, we want to t- tiptoe around. There, there is some very taboo stuff in this movie, and Definitely. a lot of it you couldn't get away with putting in a movie now. Full frontal nudity, and which almost seems kind of common in a lot of movies now. Oh, at least top, at least toplessness you see a lot in R-rated comedies, but. I don't know why I prefer a lot of it seems like a lot of the R-rated comedies from the 70s and 80s seem a lot more tame than R-rated comedies now. Yeah, it seems like the like, yeah, it seems so innocent and, and simple. Like it's not anything crazy. Whereas, yeah, this now it seems to be a lot more like it's it, the there's a lot of more raunchy humor and and then like a lot of I find like drug references and just a lot of things like that where it's just 
Yeah, yeah, it kind of goes a bit overboard when you don't have to. When you look at, like, you know, the movies the 70s and that and the 80s, or it's just, you know, you see an R-rated film and it's, yeah, it's like, that's it? Like, that's R-rated? <laughs> like, yeah. to, to compare the two, they're vastly yeah. different. And we're not saying this movie definitely has some of that stuff in there. Like we mentioned the scene yeah. at the carnival between Lewis and Betty. We didn't, these are subjects I don't want to touch with a 39 and a half foot pole. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or some of the references, uh, Booger makes or the, and there, and some of this continues on to the second movie too. Um, some of these references and innuendos and stuff. Um, so some of that still exists in movies today and existed in movies back then, but uh, maybe did it seem, maybe it just seems more, I mean, it seems more accepted now or it seems more the norm now. Yeah. I think you get your, you get your American pie franchise. You know, <laughs> some yeah. of your, so it seems more, almost more accepted. Yeah. Where it's, yeah, it's not something you really think about. Whereas I feel like the earlier movies were more subtle about it. They weren't not, like not, not necessarily not necessarily more subtle, but it was more it was more taboo back then. It had that yeah. more shock factor. Yeah. As for nowadays, it's more shock for shock's sake. Mm-hmm. Like I had it, this, I had a, I had a theory. We, we could probably talk about this in our next episode when they remade or they redid the Rocky Horror Picture Show a few years ago on Fox. Did the live adaptation of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I don't think it made much sense to do it now because back in 74, 74, 75, the, sub, the subjects in Rocky Horror Picture Show were more taboo than they are now. Yeah. Yeah, now it's not as... There's no, there's no shock to it now. But, but some things now, you're not, you're not going to see panty raids. You're not going to see guys installing cameras in women's rooms. You're not gonna. <laughs> no, this is a lot of stuff you're not gonna see. No, and... stuff would hit oscillating units. Yes. <laughs> so, the, so there's aspects of this movie why you're not gonna see in movies anymore, just because you're not gonna see a bunch of guys breaking into a sorority house and installing cameras in their bedrooms and in their bathrooms. Yeah. You're not gonna see stuff with it. Th- I think they talked about it on Nerdist with Curtis Armstrong about the whole scene with Betty and Lewis. Like, how were the first words out of Betty's mouth? That, well, you're under arrest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's... Uh, it's But it, the, it's what makes the movie unique, though. You know, they've, they've got their own thing and it's not... You know, you, you won't see what you see in in this movie in other movies and that it just it's just what makes it its own its own thing which is which is nice cuz it's not you know nobody's copied and pasted from this movie and made it into another one you know they've they've kind of they've left it which is good as you, they you you that you see but you could probably see the inspiration yeah i think a lot of the movies from this era like not necessarily the era, but sort of like college comedy genre, like Meatballs, like uh, Porky's, even though it's high school, or Animal House, or even Caddyshack. They had, in Revenge of the Nerds, they have that same 
uh, aura of comedy. And it, it's mm-hmm. that kind of comedy, this kind of humor has made its impact on pop culture still now. Like I yeah. said, the American Pie franchise probably gets a lot of its inspiration from these kinds of comedies. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, they've all been inspired in, in one way or another. You know, not necessarily copying, but just, yeah, inspiring that humor and that, you know, the type of movie that it is. But in, in conclusion, this the movie has its flaws, and through a modern-day lens, it could be viewed as a very cheesy film. Some view it as a cult film, but I view it as an actual film. I love this movie. I will watch this till the day I die, and I will never stop laughing at it. No matter how taboo or raunchy it gets, I will never stop laughing at it. This movie has a very near and dear spot to my heart, more than just a comedy, but the message it has in the end, too. Stand up for what you are. Don't be, af- don't be ashamed to admit it. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing we can get out of it. Yeah. So, if you haven't seen Revenge of the Nerds, if we haven't spoiled it too much, or if we've actually inspired you to see it, uh, I give it 11, 11 stars out of 10. I go up to 11 on this one. <laughs> I'll, go you, to, I'll go to 12 just to be that person. <laughs> and knowing Melissa, she probably put a U in that 12 somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, we, highly, we both highly recommend this movie. It's near and dear to our hearts. And if you're nerdy like us, it's good. It would probably be near and dear to your hearts, too. Seek out the sequels if you can, too. If anything, at least watch Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. If you want to brave uh, number three, um, The Next Generation, or number four, Nerds in Love, know this going in. It's made for TV, (laughs) not made for theater. Mm. Budget restrictions. (laughs) They're still very entertaining. Trust me, or... Listen to your Midwest ambassador. I will watch Revenge of the Nerds 3, The Next Generation, or Revenge of the Nerds 4, Nerds in Love, a million times over Halloween Resurrection or Seed of Chucky. I'll even say the American Pie movie. I'm not a fan of the American Pie franchise. I'll watch those over American Pie. <laughs> um, I don't know a whole lot about the television show. I, I know it was very short-lived. Um, I think it. I think it came between the second movie and the third movie. the The pilot is on my uh, first movie DVD. Um, if you can find old episodes of uh, King of the Nerds, which was the show that was on TNT or TBS, TBS, it was hosted by Curtis Armstrong and Robert Carradine. If you can seek that out, find it. It's entertaining. It's very much a reality show, but it's got. It's it's almost like if Revenge of the Nerds was it, but it's got your stereotypical reality TV show drama. Mm. But Revenge of the Nerds, we love it. Yeah, definitely watch it. We've we've been talking for two hours about an hour and a half long movie, and I could easily go another hour. Mm-hmm. Easily. Yeah, so much to talk about, but. We won't, uh, as much as we may love a six-hour-long 
podcast about whatever topic we won't <laughs> we won't give you that <laughs> oh. Before we wrap it up tonight, me and Melissa want to give a couple shout-outs. Uh, Melissa, do you want to give the first one? Yeah, I'd like to give a shout-out to uh, Bonehead Weekly. They are a podcast um, hosted by uh, Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, and... Oh, I'm sorry if I forget your name. I can't remember. Anyway, it's a hilarious group of guys, and they do a podcast about... They talk about movies, they talk about uh, cartoons, they talk about, um, they kind of talk about a whole range of things, and they also, um, they'll talk about different um, conventions and things too that they even attend, Um, and yeah, it's just a wide variety of stuff, and they they even sometimes do like Facebook Live um, videos, and they even do sometimes... Um, they'll do YouTube videos as well, and they'll make their episode like it's their sort of live podcast, but it's um, they'll record it and then post it up on, on YouTube. So you can find them on there. You can find them on Facebook at Bonehead Weekly. You can find them also at the, of the same name on Twitter and, like I said, YouTube. Um, and, yeah, look them up. And, and they're even on... Um, I uh, believe Spotify and SoundCloud and iTunes, like they're they're everywhere um, that you may use. So I would highly recommend them. They are hilarious and uh, yeah, really good people. And I can you will find them with us at the front row of the screen, the premiere screening of the Electric Mayhem movie. And I I vote we all cosplay as the characters. And since I have the beard. I have dibs and a doctor teeth. Yes, that makes sense. Come on. Well, you're autom- <laughs> you're automatically Janice. Yes. <laughs> like, like for sure, really. <laughs> <laughs> the guys, you heard me. I got dibs and doctor teeth if we cosplayed the Electric Mayhem movie. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they'd be opposed to that, but you never know. If you're listening, Joe, don't argue. I know you like to, but don't. <laughs> if you like to argue, your cosplaying is lips. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect. That is absolutely perfect for him. He has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I would, and one more shout out. I'd like to give a shout out to my friend Mikey Rare. Um, I've known Mike for over ten years. I met him in during the haunted house industry. Uh, he's like a brother to me and him and his wife have started a company called RNF haberdashery. And what they do is they, um, make all kinds of, uh, products for your doggo. They're big dog people. So they make treats out of sweet potatoes. They make these awesome bow tie collars. They make, um, flea collar. They make flea stuff. They make all kinds of stuff. So you can find them on Etsy. You can find them on Instagram, on Facebook under R and F Haberdash. Tell them Jared and Melissa sent you. We highly endorse their products. We don't have dogs, but we highly endorse their product. Mikey has been a huge supporter of the show. Mikey has never listened to podcasts before, and he loves our show. <laughs> well, Mikey, I love you. Thank you for your support. Thank you, Nikki, for all your support. Thank you, uh, Bonehead Weekly, for your guys' support, too. Um, 
we'll have to do a huge crossover episode sometime. And I've already been talking to Mikey about ha- doing a crossover between United Nations and RNF haberdashery. But now talking to a Bonehead Weekly and United Nations crossover needs to happen. Oh, that that could be fun. Or it may open a can of worms. We don't know, but it needs to happen. <laughs> and right now, all the all the junior bats are like, oh, great, a five-hour-long podcast on Dr. T. Leder Mayhem. I don't even know who those guys even are. Well, Google, it. <laughs> Google it. Google it, man. If you believe honesty is the best policy, then the next name of crack like that, your best policy would be an insurance policy. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but just remember, guys, you guys are my witness. I have the beard. I cosplay as Dr. Teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I, probably, I probably got the deeper voice for it, too. All right, let's boogie. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> but Mikey, Nikki, everybody at RNF, I actually thank you for your support. I can't wait to have you on the show sometime, and thank you, Bonehead Weekly, for your support. But not just them. putting us all over Twitter. That's really, really awesome of you. We appreciate it. And uh, we don't want to thank everybody that's been retweeting, liking the post, listening to episodes. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback today. I just got a, a... a text from uh, my Hana house boss today who finally listened to the show. Goes, That's good stuff, man. I finally got to listen to your show. It's good stuff. So thank you very much for the overwhelming positive support guys. And just keep going, keep liking, keep sharing, reach out to us. Let us know how we're doing. Tell us, uh, tell us over the social media, how we're doing. Uh, shoot us some, uh, topic ideas. We got plenty of topics we can keep going on. Yeah, but we, we wouldn't be opposed to other things out there in the atmosphere. We're we're certainly open to whatever topics that you might want us to to talk about and and debate and argue. Maybe um, we're certainly open to it. And um, yeah, if you want to follow us on social media, we're at at Nerd Pod on Twitter. Um, you can find us at. Nerd United Nations podcast on Facebook. Uh, we're not on Instagram yet. We might be in the distant future. <laughs> but for now, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. And don't uh, forget, to, don't, don't forget to post your point hashtag at Point Dexter Challenge. Uh, how we call it? Hashtag Point Dexter Thriller Challenge. Yeah. So, Send that to us on Twitter and Facebook. And yep. me and Melissa, Melissa and I will do our own videos for it. Yes. And I, ha- I have no shame. I've been doing this dance since I was like five or six years old. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't either. I, uh, I'm i like permanently 12, so it's okay. And, and, I, and I'm an early childhood educator. I deal with kids, so I'm always a child, so it's okay. I, I'll definitely be in on this. <laughs> but I can't I can't wait to see you guys' Point Dexter dance videos. Yeah, we're excited to see those. Those will be And, and great. if you do not if you have not seen the movie and do not know what we're talking about, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Yeah. There's lots of clips and things of, of Revenge of the Nerds, so it's probably pretty easy to find. Even I think you can easily find just yeah, the Point Dexter dance and you know, you could watch the, the clip if you don't want to watch the movie. But if you haven't seen the movie, you need to watch it because it is really, really good. It is very well done. 
Um, we've talked about where you can find the podcast, but where can we find you, Jared, on the well, social medias? Like I said, I could easily do another couple hours on this movie alone. So if you want to talk to me more about Revenge of the Nerds in particular, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at QCA Mr. J. It's M I S T A J. After my favorite comic book character, the Joker, Mr. J. The QCA just stands for Quad Cities Area. Um, you can find me on Facebook under my my regular name. Uh, you can also find me behind the camera, or you can hear me behind the camera on Breaking Frequencies on Vidi Space or on Amazon Prime. Breaking Frequencies with Ghost Crier. So, Melissa, where can our listeners follow you at? They can follow me, if they'd like to, and my shenanigans, on Twitter. I'm at capital M-I-S-S underscore capital M-E-L-I-S-S-A capital N, which is Miss Melissa N. Uh, That's on Twitter. And then it's the same thing on Instagram, uh, except it's all lowercase. So it's M-I-S-S underscore M-E-L-I-S-S-A underscore lowercase N. So you can find me on there and all my postings and shenanigans. And that will do it for this episode of the Nerd United Nations podcast, talking about one of our favorite movies of all time. I know it's one of my favorite movies of all time, Revenge of the Nerds. So we're going to close out this episode the way we close out every episode, by quoting the great Gilbert Lowe by saying, Those bastards destroyed our house. Oh, wait, sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a nerd, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. See you next time. Thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.